America. It's on the running here on ESPN Plus. Hercules Gomez, Sebi Salazar with you. Herc, how you doing out there on the West Coast? I'm good. It's Sweater Vest Monday out on the East Coast. Welcome to my neighborhood, Hercules Gomez. Welcome to my neighborhood. So much to get to in this edition of Football Americas. And again, we remind you, Football Americas now available via podcast. Just search the ESPN FC feed. Wherever you download your pods, you will find us every Monday and every Thursday, just as you will here on ESPN+. Plus. Lots to come, Hercules Gomez, uh, in this show. Some good news for the Mexican national team, some bad news for the Mexican national team. You right now are on the West Coast. You're in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, I'm on the East Coast with the U.S. Women's National Team. They just finished up, so we'll be talking to Julie Foudy live from East Hartford in just a minute, but let's start with a look back at the MLS weekend. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the good has to be Lower.com Field. Going to take me a while to get accustomed to saying that, Herc, in Columbus, but the crew opening up their brand new facility in a 2-2 draw against the New England Revolution, and it is a beaut. This is insane. From hashtag save the crew to opening a brand new state-of-the-art soccer-specific stadium, do not take this for granted, my people. Take it from a guy that remembers playing in empty stadiums like the Rose Bowl, like Arrowhead, like MetLife. What is happening right now is insane. Keep it going. Well, this was insane as well. The New England Revolution with a welcome home gift for the Columbus crew. Andrew Farrell and Matt Turner getting all sorts of twisted up before Giassi Zardes joins the party to get the ball over the line. Uh, Herc, what did you make of this fiasco and the fact that Bruce Arena afterwards said, hey, this should have been a foul. <laughs> a foul? A foul? Don't turn your back on the play, my friend! What are you doing, Andrew Bell? You're better than that! And then Jassy Sardes. Uh, the only thing that happens if you give the foul here is you're bailing New England out. You're bailing Andrew Farrell and Matt Turner out of what is one of the worst plays I've ever seen. One of the worst gaffes. It is what it is, my friends! It is what it is. That is a perfect way to sum up that play uh, in Major League Soccer. Some might say peak MLS, but we would call them haters. A man who has no haters, actually probably does have quite a few, uh, finds himself in our bad this week. The LA Galaxy losing 2-0 against Sporting Kansas City, who are now in first place, not just in the Western Conference, but in the Supporter Shield as well. Chicharito didn't play. In fact, he was supposed to start hurt, but he's injured in the warm-up. Right now, the LA Galaxy are third in the Western Conference. Without Chicharito, it's a calf injury. We don't know how long he'll be out, but let's assume it'll be a while. Without Chicharito, can they stay top three? No, because nobody else has proven to have the ability on the LA Galaxy to score goals. He's been the goal-scoring threat. Uh, this is a, a concern. What is the difference between Javier Hernandez this season and last? Health and fitness. And it was a calf injury that kept him out for over three months last season. So you have a midweek game against Dallas on Wednesday. After that, you've got a 10-day break. So essentially, you can give him about 13-plus days to get right more because he didn't play against Sporting KC. That's what you need. You need him healthy. You need him fit. You need him on the field. He can't score goals for you if he's not on the field. And clearly, the Galaxy have proven this season that their main threat scoring goals is Javier Hernandez. 17 goals so far this season, Herc, for the Galaxy. He's got 10 of them. I'm looking at their upcoming schedule, and that's the one area you might say they could get a break for what's left of the month of July. They don't play anybody who right now is above the playoff line in the West. They got Dallas in there twice. Dallas is not playing great. Yeah. They got Vancouver, who's dead last in there once. So the schedule lines up well. But if you think about it, okay, you don't have Chicharito, and now you got the Gold Cup absences coming. So you've got no Sebastian Legette. 
no Efrain Alvarez, no Jonathan Dos Santos. That's where I start to worry for Greg Vanny and the LA Galaxy. I think even though the schedule is light, those absences piling up one after the other, we could see the LA Galaxy very easily, I think, slip out of the top three, no? Yeah, they could slip out of the top three, and I wouldn't be so concerned as this stretch, but what they've shown us already this season defensively, or their ability when they play a top team like Sporting Kansas City or Seattle twice, to not really be effective, to be toothless. Now, you don't have Javier Hernandez in that equation? <laughs> yep, and who's the replacement, right? They had to scramble because the injury happens right before the game uh, over this past weekend, but it's Ethan Zubak. I mean, this is a guy who's got... Outside of last year, basically a USL resume. I think he's got two major league soccer goals, Herc. So um, the drop from Chicharito to Azubak is huge. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. There are a couple of Galaxy fans here at LAPC where we record at the ESPN Studios in Los Angeles, and they mentioned that. We don't have that player of old like the um, Alan Gordons, the Mike McGee's, the Chris Pontius the last few seasons who could step in a good MLS presence where if your top guys aren't there, come in fit in very nicely, and contribute. They don't have that right now. All right, so Chicharito's injury then, the bad. What about the ugly from what we saw this past weekend in Major League Soccer? And this was a very, very easy choice. Toronto FC losing 7-1 to to DC United. That happened on Saturday. Then on Sunday, Chris Armas was fired. Fired just 11 games, Herc, into his tenure in charge of Toronto FC. Is it the right decision and is it the right time for the decision? It's absolutely the right decision and it's absolutely the right time for the decision. We spoke about the 10-day layoff most teams will have, all teams will have, uh, for Gold Cup with his Major League Soccer. So you've got a little time to find a coach right there. And listen, this isn't just this game. 7-1 drumming to DC United should open eyes. It's in, and excuse me, it's DC United, right? But but it's it's they're winless in 11 straight games, and not only that, you could say, hey, cut them some break, cut them a little bit of break, cut them some slack, because this team has been dealing with injuries. The Canadian teams essentially play on the road. They've been in Orlando as their home uh, seed, if you will. But these are the same circumstances and the same players that we saw last year achieve a supporter shield mm. under those same circumstances injuries under the same circumstances of having to play in florida away from what is canada away from what is uh, toronto and they led the league in points you know what the only difference was greg vanny was a coach it mm. wasn't chris armis these are the same players so these same players and i hate saying gave up on the coach but they no longer believed in the message they were not, not no longer able to respond to said message and it was evident four of those goals came after the minute 70 mark. Mm. That shows me this is a defeated team. So, uh, Philly, your supporter shield winners last year. I think Toronto FC oh, finished uh, second right. <laughs> in, the, uh, in the Eastern Conference. Still a, a very good result. And, and it's a fair point that you mentioned. It is a lot of the same players. But I'm really starting to wonder, and I don't know, Herc, if Chris Armas is a good coach or a bad coach. I, I don't know that. But I'm, I wonder if in this situation, this is more a Toronto FC thing than a Chris Armas thing. Not that he didn't play his role and not that maybe he is the man as the head coach ultimately responsible and the guy who's got to, you know, at the end of the day, lose his job when things go this bad, when you have this bad of a start to the season. But let's be honest, Toronto FC not spending what they were in the past. The Josie Altidore situation is not good for the team. Um, not just do you not have your best player, one of your best players available to you on the field. Clearly, it's something boiling over into that dressing room. I think this is a problem with Toronto FC when you look at moving forward. They got to nail the next coaching hire. And if they don't, 
I don't think this is Chris Armas. I think there's a deeper rot going with Toronto FC that Chris Armas, at the end of the day, is on the hook for. My question spinning out of this, though, is what does it mean for Josie Altidore? We'd pretty much, with Armas in charge, written him off as a Toronto FC player. Do you think this changes that? Absolutely. Of course it changes it. Mm. One of the reasons, not the only reason, that Josie Elter has been on the outs of Toronto was that fallout, that public display with Chris Armas. And you mentioned a deeper rot. Well, yes, because Greg Vanny and this, what is a lot of a, of a crew for, for Toronto, Bill Manning, the president, and what is Ali Curtis, the GM, have constructed a roster to play a certain way, a certain style. And what do you do? You bring in Chris Armas who plays the exact opposite of that mm. style, a, a much more high press up the field, high tempo type of game, not possession-based. And then Josie Alto, who's your DP and a club legend, a man responsible for scoring the goal that gives you your only title in Major League Soccer, you ostracize this player. Now, this obviously opens the door for Josie Alto to come back. He's a player that when he's firing all cylinders, when he's healthy, can contribute massively. But you mentioned that this Toronto team doesn't spend like they used to. No team has spent like Toronto has ever in Major League Soccer. When you look at what they did to bring Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore in, the other players like Defoe in, big-time players, the program, Greg Vanny, everything, Jovinko, the way they try to revamp uh, what is Major League Soccer and their system towards it, they haven't spent that much but because no team spent that much. But if you look at Pozuelo, Soltelo, they've been quietly, and I shouldn't say quietly, they've been actively trying to put in better pieces, smarter pieces to this equation. It's just not a good roster right now. And a lot of that could be injury. A lot of that could be direction. But they're not a good team right now. So there's a lot of pressure. We know Toronto's a very serious town. You're telling me it's not a very good roster. Then I'm guessing this Toronto FC job is not a very attractive job. Of course That's what it's it attractive. sounds like. You're telling me. No, no, it's very attractive because they spend, because MLSE spends money, because Toronto is a great fan base. Tor Toronto is a great sports city. Toronto is a city that's gotten behind Toronto FC before. But this team today doesn't remind me of the Toronto FC of old, the Greg Vanny, Sebastian Javinko, Michael Bradley, uh, Josie Altador, Marky Delgado, Jonathan Osorio teams. They got far in the CONCACAF Champions League. That won MLS Cup. That got back to MLS Cup. You know, th this is this reminds me of the Aaron Venter uh, TFC mm. teams, Th those Yikes. teams that were just depressing to watch. The team that you just knew was going to somehow embarrass the city no matter how hard they try. This is what it reminds me of. How about this? This is uh, this is in your neighborhood, isn't it? Venice Beach. And look at that. Weston McKinney playing pickup uh, in Venice. This is the I think this is the coolest thing ever. If I was in this game and he dropped in, I'd be freaking out. Uh, Herc, are you cool with it? If you were in this game, he'd be bodying you like he bodied that one guy in that oh pickup game. I'd be in the ocean. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and my hood, my hood is the South Bay, not Venice. Uh, I hear, here's the body. Sebastian Salazar out of the way. I, I am, I am cool with this. I've got no issue with this. But yep. certainly, upper management, the brass of what is Juventus, or even Greg Berhalter, should have an issue with this. Every contract that I've ever signed, and certainly not the level of Juventus and what is Serie A has had a clause where you can't do this type of activity. You can't go in your free time and play pickup basketball, pickup soccer. You can't go join a recreational league. You are a product. They pay you and they want to keep their product, their investment, safe and sound. Certainly, Juventus, Greg Berhalter, should be worried when they see social media images 
of Weston McKinney, no matter how cool it looks, playing pickup soccer at the beach on that field and How's those conditions. How's he supposed to keep his touch sharp? How's he supposed to keep his touch sharp? He's got to do something, right? That's Jim not, not a contract. Ball. Listen, I don't care because I, I, it doesn't affect me either way. I, I think this is Weston McKinney to a T, and I love it. This is his personality. This is what he would do. And the only one probably who would do this and film it, record it, and put it out there, I love everything about Weston. But if you spend 20 how many millions on a player mm. like Weston McKinney and he gave you such a good season and he was such a vital uh, part of the success when you did have success, if you're the new coach, if you're Allegri, if you're part of that upper management and you see your 20-something million dollar investment on the field in Venice playing a pickup game, would you not be worried? Maybe. Maybe a little <laughs> bit. Maybe a little bit. I'll give it to you. A little bit. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Let's focus in on the women's national team just down the road from where I am right now. They just played their last match on American soil before heading off to the Olympics. It was against Mexico, second game against Mexico in the last four days. Herc, let's bring you the highlights here. Sixth minute, Lindsey Horan, what a volley. Yeah, great volley, but how about the little touch from Carly Lloyd on a pillow? What a setup, and then the volley, just fantastic. U.S. rolling early, up 1-0. Five minutes after that, Carly Lloyd from provider to score, 2-0, USA. I'm not going to talk about her age. I'm not going <laughs> to talk about her inability to score because she's going to get mad and she's going to keep scoring. All right, 37th minute, banger here. This one actually is going to end up counting as an own goal against Mexico, but wow, a blast from distance. A great blast from Dixon. Maybe a bit of a deflection, but the keeper does very well. Then on the follow-up, does even better, but it's the defender who puts it in at the end. So that made it 3-0. Tobin Heath, the shot on the third goal, the shot here on the fourth goal as well. No one taking it away from her. No own goal there. And the U.S. rolls 4-0 hurt. Mewis with the no look, and Heath, benefactor. We'll take it. Absolutely. In the United States, and that man, Blatko and Anofsky with one more victory and an impressive one at that against Mexico as they prepare to head off for the Olympics. A 40 Four match unbeaten streak. That's what the U.S. will take into the Tokyo Olympics. Their last defeat coming to France. That was way back in January of 2019. All right, from East Hartford, Connecticut, where she just got done calling the game, we welcome in Julie Fadding out of Football Americas. Uh, Julie, I was going to ask you for kind of some general thoughts on the game, this and that, but I think the story, at least from that first half hour, first half, is Tobin Heath. My goodness, she looks fit. Yeah. Holy cow. I know, and think about it. This has been since November of 2020 was her last start with the U.S. women's team. December, her last game. So it's been a good six months, and everyone was thinking, is she going to be sharp enough? We know how good Tobin Heath can be, but not having played for six months. And all signs point to the fact that not only is she sharp enough, 
She's looking great. She's Her numbers, her data, her loads are really good. So she did 20 minutes in that first game against Mexico. She did 45 today. And Black Wendonovsky thinks actually she may be up to 70 minutes come game one of the Olympics. But you can see the impact immediately that she has with this team and how thrilled those players are to have her back out there. Julie, we're going to talk a lot about the U.S. Uh, in a bit. But you, as you know, we talk a lot about Liga MX Femenil and their importance to women's soccer. After watching Mexico under Monica Vergara Rubio, can you at least say Mexico and their national team are moving in the right direction? I do think so. We actually talked about that during the game, Herc, because I I like, as they did in the first game, they were a little bit more tired, as you could see in this game. But her average age of the team she's bringing in, and, and of course, Monica has a, 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 a tradition, a history, sorry, with the U.S., sorry, youth national teams from Mexico. So she's brought a lot of those young players in. And what you saw in there is a very young team that looked a little bit tired today, but they're trying to play. And in that first game against the U.S., they weren't just sitting in a low block. They were out there. They were playing. They had some looks. I thought they, they looked a lot better in that first game. So I do think with Liga MX Feminine, what they're doing in the professional league is making a difference. And it's not going to happen overnight. But you're seeing a shift not only in the way they're supporting women, but it seems there's a shift culturally in the way they're supporting them as well. So I'm hopeful that it's going to be uh, actually good news coming out of Mexico in the, in the short term. Julie, let's talk about another Julie, Julie Ertz. She doesn't start today. We're now, what, 16 days from the first game of the Olympics for the U.S. women's national team. She's still, of course, recovering from that MCL sprain in her knee. Does the U.S. need Julie Ertz? Because I think it's pretty safe to say right now, right? she's not going to be at 100% for the Olympics. Do they need her at 100%, Julie, to win gold? Or can what you've described as kind of plan B with Sam Mewis in there as a six work well enough for this team to win the gold medal without Julie Ertz, if that's what it comes down to? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think it becomes harder to win without Julie Ertz, but you can win without Julie Ertz. But what Julie Ertz gives you, and mind you, Lindsay Horan has been excellent in that six. She's done a great job. And this is a position she hasn't played a lot of, and she's played a lot of different positions. So I think she's been tremendous. But what Ertz gives you is she gives you this. She gives you this bite and this grit and this energy. As soon as she steps into that midfield, she's winning tackles. She's fighting for balls. She doesn't have the creative technical side of a Haran and even the vision or distribution of a Haran, but she has this bite that is contagious when she comes into games. And so I think that's what they miss without her in there. But seeing what we've seen from this group, and it's what is the strength, honestly, of the United States going into this Olympics, is there's just so much depth at every position, and that's what other countries can't match. And so I think that's their greatest superpower and strength going into this Olympics, especially with the tight turn, with the weather, with the humidity, with the lack of roster spaces, although they did go to 22, thankfully. But I think that is the gift that is the United States is all their depth. Okay, let's talk about other countries. In the past on this show, you've mentioned Great Britain and Australia as teams that could potentially give uh, the U.S. some trouble. So what's the biggest threat? Who is the biggest threat to the U.S. and their gold medal search? I'm amending that, Herc. <laughs> I'm going to add Sweden, of course, to that list. 
Um, I like Sweden a lot. I think that they have shown that they present the most challenges to the United States. They know the U.S. so well, whether it's uh, historically playing in major championships or whether it's psychologically because they don't fear the U.S. anymore. You've seen in the 2000 World Cup, 2016 Olympics, they knocked the U.S. out of the Olympics. First time they've ever been knocked out before the medal rounds. So this is a team that feels as if they're ready to pounce. And that's the hardest thing, honestly, against the United States, is even if you can match them physically, there's still that mental barrier of it is the United States and they've won a lot of things. And we've seen it from many other countries, France being one of them. They haven't been able to get over that hurdle. But I think Sweden is close to that because they've lost the fear factor. So I think actually they're their biggest threat. And ironically, of course, it's their first game at the Olympics. Of course, of course it is. Of course the schedule makers gave us a U.S.-Sweden game to start uh, <laughs> things off. Look, I, I want to ask you about this team big picture because we talk about the strengths and, and, and they're overwhelming. And, and maybe to pick a weakness is, is nitpicking almost with a group like this, but every team has a weakness or a point of concern. Um, what, what is that for the U.S., Julie? Um... That's a good question. I mean, I think people would probably point to that their average age is 30.8. Um, and whether that heat plays a factor in that with some players on the edge of that, in terms of mid-30s, a lot of your core is in your mid-30s. But still, when you look at the numbers and the data and the science behind what these players are producing and the loads they're able to endure, their numbers are great. And so even though, and Vlatko says this all the time, even though Carly is going to be 39 at the Olympics, I don't ever look at her age because her numbers are so good in what she's coming back with when they're when they're testing their load. So I would say that's what people want to point to, but I, it, it's hard to find a weakness with this group. Maybe, um, maybe that right back position not being so deep. Kelly O'Hara struggling with some injuries. We saw on the left side of Mexico having a little bit of success in that first game against the U.S.'s right side. So maybe that's an area that teams can target. O'Hara coming off some ankle injuries and not a lot of depth, as I said. So, uh, But really, I mean, this is as good a U.S. team in terms of depth and um, and creativity with getting Tobin Heath back and hopefully a healthy Rose Lavelle that we've seen in a long time. You've mentioned age. I'm looking at some of the players, Megan Rapino, Lloyd, uh, Sauerbrunn, uh, Brun, all over 35 heading into the Olympics. Even Alex Morgan will be 34 at the next World Cup. Does this feel like a last dance sort of situation for this generation of players? <laughs> Uh, I'm never going to say it's a last dance for anyone because with these players, their longevity, they're like, they're, they're crushing, you know, what we used to do. We would get in our 30s and be like, and you, Herc, you were probably the same way, like, oh, God, you know, getting out of bed hurts. <laughs> My 20s were and like now that. it's like Carly, <laughs> yeah, Carly could play till she's 50. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what their limits are anymore. I think they're shattering all that in a, a really healthy way. So um, I would think maybe for Rapino, with all that she has on her plate, this is her last go. Um, Carly, I will never say it's her last go because that will come back to me. Uh, maybe Becky Sauerbrunn, the same. But with the delay of the Olympics, you know, it used to be World Cup, Olympics, and then you had a three-year gap, and that was a hard turn. That was a slog. And so there were a lot of players who would retire after the Olympics because they're like, I can't go another three-year stretch. But with it being just around the corner almost, you're like, yeah. 
Maybe I could do it. So who knows? Maybe a little of them will hold on. But I do think they got to start infusing youth into this system. They got to get the Macarios in there, the Davidsons in there. They got to get more youth in there so that they can give them that experience to replace this really great experienced group. Julie, in our production meeting before the show, Herc and I were kind of trying to brainstorm, right? Trying to think, like, who's going to be the top scorer on this U.S. women's national team at the Olympics? And unlike a lot of teams, there's not an obvious answer. I think there's probably three really good choices and, and, and maybe four or five that you could say, hey, are, are probably going to score in this tournament. And if they get hot, could absolutely uh, load them up. I think it's probably between Megan Rapino. Alex Morgan and Kristen Press. Who do you think will end up being the leading scorer at this Olympic Games for the U.S.? That's a good question. Um, I I like Press and the way she's playing right now and, and the momentum. I think the stat I had written down, I don't have my sheet in front of me, was you know uh, 17 goals in the last 20 assists is, is sounds about I mean 20 games is that about right yeah 17 yep. goals or assists in the last 20 games I, I don't know I'm looking at Adrian saying help me um, but she's <laughs> been good really good and 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 confident in front of goal and I, I think Lindsay Horan this is if if she's not playing in that deeper role with the six if Ertz is back in and she gets a little bit higher I mean that first strike you saw out of her I mean that's what she can do um, which we saw today. So I like Lindsay Horan a lot. And who knows, with Tobin Heath, how she's looked, she took her first touch in that first game back after six months and scored. So um, there's another threat for you right there. So right. they come from all over the place, which is another strength of the U.S. Uh, all right. I, I wanted to say Alex Morgan, but I'll say Carly Lloyd because I, I don't want her to come at me, and I like Carly Lloyd a lot. And she's been <laughs> scoring goals in bunches and has that potential. So I will go there. I, I did want to ask you, so it's gold or bust, right? It's it's the U.S. or U.S. women's national team are the favorite. Yeah. and they have to win or this is a fracaso it is a failure yes that's how it works with us and that's fine I mean we like that pressure I say we because that was always how it was with us so um, yeah and it is it really is that that that, that incredible standard of we want to be on the top of that podium. And honestly, it's where it's where we should be as a country. We have more women playing, more girls playing, more funding, more support, more grassroots than any other country by a mile. And so we go into these tournaments with that advantage, and we should take that, and we should run with it. Um, it's not to say that other countries aren't getting better, because they absolutely are, which is a great thing for women's soccer. But it's still the reality that a lot of countries don't have the support that we have in the United States or the depth or the, the funding. And so we go in with that mindset and it's not a pressure, it's just an expectation. And, and it's not a hubris either. It's not this overconfidence. It's just the reality of we're going in and we think we can win it. And Julie, something I, I, I like that you pointed out on the broadcast, I think we kind of heard it from Vladko as well. Another advantage for the U.S. in this tournament is the decision to go to 22. Uh, as Julie's alluded to like a million times, there's not a deeper pool in the world when it comes to women's soccer than the U.S. So the fact that they can add four more super high-quality players is a definite advantage yeah. to this team going to Tokyo. I don't think you can, you can overstate just how big that is for the U.S. All right, let's do an NWSL run it back. We have both... A golazo, but we also, Julie, have some, some history that we have to uh, acknowledge from the National Women's Soccer League over the weekend. First, the golazo. Uh, Mariana La Roquette with a La Roquette, the Argentine, Herc, a game-tying goal late for Kansas City. You love this. X-River Plate, everything about the goal I love. The anticipation, the touch around the defender, the awareness to see the goalkeeper off her line, but then the delicate touch. Oh, my goodness. And where she puts it. Golazo! 
game finished 1-1 between Kansas City Gotham FC. Shout out to Allie Long, who in that game went over 12,000 NWSL minutes for her career. Fantastic stuff. The other end of the career arc, Olivia Moultrie, Julie, making her debut with the Portland Thorns over the weekend, becomes the youngest player in NWSL history at just 15 years of age. We talked so about it awesome. earlier this week on the show and kind of what it means for women's soccer and women's soccer here in the United States, but neither Herc nor I could possibly ever have your perspective on what this means. So how significant is this? How big a deal is this for women's soccer here in this country? You know what's so strange? I was on a Zoom call with her last week for some leadership stuff we've been doing with CONCACAF. And I said, Olivia, you need to tell the group all that you've been going through. Was it a, another group of under 15s from all over CONCACAF? And so she tells the group what she'd been going through. And she's like, I'm really hopeful I can get out there and play. And such a wise old soul. It's like you could see why she's ready for this. Um, and as she says, and as everyone has said, if you're good enough, you're old enough. So I'm super pleased because that's been about a two-year battle for her to get out there. And it's not like, okay, we're going to open this rule up and the floodgates are going to open. No, these teams are going to sign these players only if they're good enough. And she clearly fits that bill. So super, super pumped for her that she got that chance to show it uh, over the weekend. Absolutely. History made in the National Women's Soccer League. All right, Julie, we got to let you go. Thanks for the time. I know you're very, very busy. Just called the game, but we appreciate See you, you guys. joining us Thanks, from Julie. out there in East Hartford. There she goes. Thank Julie you. Gowdy, actually, one of uh, Julie's teammates, former teammates, Abby Wambach, has a new series uh, that we're going to be <laughs> seeing soon here on ESPN+. Plus, Of course, you probably heard of Peyton's Places, Peyton Manning, going around, talking to celebrities, big figures in uh, American football. Well, now we're going to do the same thing, but with Abby Wambach and American soccer, you're going to hear her talk to, among others, Julie Fowdy, Landon Donovan, Chicharito Hernandez. Here's a little sneak preview. You're an American. You love sports. Have we got the game for you. Soccer isn't just my favorite game. It's the world's favorite game. All aboard. This is the place where everything changed. I got into the goal. The has scored. This is a dream come true. The country's greatest goal scorer in my backyard. Here it comes. <laughs> you know, Peyton, I think you might be good at this. But heading? Yeah. Why do you say that? No reason. Oh. Chicharito, we are going to recreate the greatest golazo of all time. Go! I'm going to take you somewhere where you can relieve this pressure. The rage cage. Ah! You just blew my mind. Take it easy on me! Soccer isn't just love. Slice and dice! Oof. Soccer is the great global unifier because soccer <laughs> is love. <laughs> All right, Cannot Wait begins July 7th exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. You can find it. It uh, looks very cool, and I think we'll get some great soccer content out of there, out of that series with uh, Abby Wambach. All right, uh, back to the news at hand. Mexican Federation, we've talked a lot about the punishment they're facing for the homophobic chants that you've heard uh, through games of the Mexican men's national team. Well, a report surfaced on Saturday, Herc, that the games that would actually end up being played behind closed doors as part of FIFA's punishment would be games involving the women's national team. Now, obviously, this would benefit the Federation, right? The money that they would stand to lose from those huge World Cup qualifiers at Azteca with many, many fans in attendance uh, would be changed quite differently. Not as many fans would be at these women's games. Now, the Federation has come out uh, and effectively denied this, right? They said the Mexican Football Federation is awaiting FIFA's determination regarding the specific definition of matches where the sanction received will be applied. So apparently some level of confusion 
um, over whether or not the men's national team will actually be hurt the one punished. There, there's apparently a loophole here. Um, what do we make of this, of this chaos and, and what's happening with the Federation? It's mind-blowing. I'm dumbfounded. I, I can't believe that FMF or FIFA would actually allow the only open representatives of the LGBTQ community in the program to serve a suspension for a homophobic chant that occurred in an under-23 men's side game because they want to save some money, because they don't want the national team to be jeopardized, the gate to be jeopardized, business to not be and go on as usual. It's a lack of self-awareness. Mm. It's not being able to read the room. It's FMF as usual. It's FIFA as usual. And it's sickening. Yeah. There's no way. There's just no way that the women's national team should be forced to play these games behind closed doors. And, and if there is a loophole, Herc, that doesn't mean you have to walk through it. And I think that's kind of the important thing here to acknowledge that the, the Mexican Federation, you saw it there in the statement, says, well, we don't have a role in deciding what game it is. No, but, but you can step to this table and do the right thing here. This is not a punishment for the women's national team. This is a punishment to punish the Federation for not being able to control this. And the only way for people to really hear and see this message is to make sure that the Mexican men's senior national team, Herc, plays these games behind closed doors. If you do it for the women, it will not have the same effect. The people in Mexico and the people who are chanting it in stadiums here in the United States will not hear that message if this is punishment that's just handed down to the women. There's just no chance. There's no chance. They started out the wrong way trying to explain the word trying to explain the phrase, trying to explain how it's not homophobic in their culture. Instead of saying, this is wrong, we apologize, let's teach our fans better, let's be better. No. They're trying to find a loophole within the system, and now they're trying to pin it on FIFA. It's not us, it's FIFA. It's the calendar. We wash our hands of this. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C. Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets but expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Mexico, four nothing winners, Herc, over Nigeria on Saturday in the Coliseum in Los Angeles. I say four nothing against Nigeria, but it was really a Nigeria B team, if you listen to some folks who cover Nigeria, C team, yeah. uh, if you listen to others. Uh, it was probably worth a lot of money to the Mexican Federation and Soccer United Marketing. Was it worth anything to anybody else? Uh, I know where you're going with this, the El Juego Molero, but let me, let me tell you something. Mexico's going to play teams like this at the Gold Cup. The Curaçao's, the El Salvador's of the world, maybe Trinidad or Tobago if they qualify, there's still that playing game to get there. They will face this type of competition so you can get a lot from it. When you play lesser opposition, how do you play versus said 
competition? How does it change your way of playing? How can you mm. be better, et cetera, et cetera, all these other things. So I take something out of it. Yeah. Uh, I do. I see the benefit of playing these games. To me, it's a juego molero, but <laughs> what do we think Copa, you know, Gold Cup is or Copa Oro is? It, it's the same thing. You play this type of competition, whether it's a BC team, whether it's the U20 coach who coached this team because the Nigerian head coach didn't even want to be bothered with it. That goes out the window. You still have to play the opponents, and you still have to win and win convincingly. I mean... Doesn't this feel like the Mexican-American fans being taken advantage of just a little bit? When you Always. put basically a replica team on the field in Nashville, but you put Tata there on the sideline and you say, oh no, it's L3. And then you have this team playing, I mean, really JV competition. Let's be honest about what this Nigeria team was. Sure. JV competition. Okay. And you're selling it as a, as a full senior match. And you're charging full senior match prices. They're not giving discounts Concessions, for these games. ticket prices, all that. You're absolutely right. I can't argue one bit with you there, but this is business as usual for the Mexican national team. This is why they play so many games in the States. Because that fan, that Mexican-American fan, that well-traveled Mexican fan, one of the most passionate fan bases in the world that follows their team everywhere, that spends hundreds of millions of dollars every year. This is why they do it, because they can. Yep, and they had 53,000 in the stands for this one, so no matter who they were playing, if you put them in green, you're going to draw a crowd, especially in and around Los Angeles. We know that. If there is a takeaway from the game, or at least a note of history, Rogelio Funes Mori makes his debut. He gets a goal, and basically, Herc, his first opportunity of the match, uh, I think it was like the third or fourth minute when he finally gets Mexico up one nothing. Maybe not the goal itself, but the overall performance. What would you make of it? I thought it was positive. And listen, not because the goal. Not because he did well against Nigeria, but for reasons that I already knew that were just confirmed. The type of player that he is, his ability with his back to goal in the box, his movement of connecting midfielders, of bringing the lines up into the final third and combining and finishing plays off. Things that we already have known from him from watching him with Monterrey confirms everything I thought. He's the closest thing you have to Raul Jimenez. If you take Alan Pulido, if you take Henry Martin, Javier Hernandez, and you say Raul Jimenez has goal. Raul Jimenez has ability with his feet. He's got the ability to hold up. He's got the ability to turn and play provider. He has all these different things. Who's the closest? Right now it's Funes Mori. So to mm. Tata Martino, that is a very important player. And this trident is a very, very scary trident. Not just for Gold Cup, but for beyond. Yeah, that's the thing that I took away, right? Chucky, Tecatito, Rogelio Funes Mori. I like how that looks. Of course, taken with a grain of salt because of the competition. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So Funes Mori gets it's his first goal, uh, which is impressive and it's good. And I like the fact that we got the trio. But in case you missed it, Herc, this is something you pointed up about <laughs> one of the goal celebrations. What's happening to our guy, Efrain Alvarez? What's going on here? He missed it as well. Look, Hector Herrera wants to celebrate Cote's birthday. Oh, come on. Hey, buddy, it's not you. I got to go celebrate with the birthday boy. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Poor Efra. Oh, no, 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 not you, buddy. It's uh, with the birthday boy. I want to celebrate with the birthday boy. Oh. Before we get out of here, Herc, 
something we've been keeping a close eye on. JJ Macias officially now with Getafe. All's well that ends well, right? For all the drama, for all the controversy, he is now a La Liga player. Yeah, uh, he'll be 22 in September. I don't think this is a bad move like many out in the press are making it to be a bad move. Getafe was two points away from Europa League. Two points away from Sociedad. This was a very competitive team last year in a very competitive La Liga. I think they're doing good things. Michel should give him a chance, an opportunity. And I like Jota Jota. I like him a lot. Hey, let me set an over-under for goals for Jota Jota Macias with Getafe in his first season. See which side of it you end up on. Seven and a half La Liga goals, over-under, first season. Only La Liga goals? I will Only take La Liga. the under. I have him at six. Wow. What if, I, what if I made it across all competitions? Would you then say over? I will. I will then okay. say over. So perfectly sitting on the fence. Well done, Hercules Gomez. <laughs> oh, no, you can't sit on the fence if it's an over-under. That's not how betting works. All right, well, you know who did make uh, a noteworthy celebration today? I don't, do we even call it a birthday or do we call it an anniversary? I think this Anniversary! Must... Go on, Santiago! Seven wow. months. El tanquecito. And no pressure, Messi. No pressure. Get it done. I want to see Brazil, Argentina. Look at that little boy. Why is he wearing the Argentina jersey? He, every, every month he's got a different soccer jersey. Right, yeah. right. Okay. It was either that or the Holland or the uh, you know the the Dutch jersey, the Netherlands. No, no, you don't. No, you don't want to nah. play for Frank de Boer. No, you don't want that. Well, you don't want that. He's not playing Frank de Boer anymore, but you know. Touche, touche. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. Thanks to Hercules Gomez. Thanks to Julie Foudy as well for joining us live from East Hartford, Connecticut. I'm Sebi Salazar, and we'll see you next week right here on ESPN Plus. How'd your Belgium do against Italy? research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.